0: Hi, it's Mark Sisson. Welcome to the Primal Blueprint Podcast. It's time for another show dedicated to the world of keto. Check out ketoreset.com for details about my New York Times bestselling book and send your questions to info at ketoreset.com. A one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four. Let's get into it. The introduction to the ketogenic diet. Let's learn all about keto. It's taken the diet world by storm, promising all these incredible health, disease protection and fat reduction benefits. Tremendous science is supporting that the ketogenic diet is highly effective in all these areas. So we're not talking about crazy fat diet. We're actually talking about uh, a critical element of human evolution. When our ancestors went without food for long periods of time, uh, particularly without carbohydrates, nothing like today's highly excessive high-carbohydrate diet, our ancestors were able to survive and actually thrive due to the ability to manufacture ketones in the liver to replace the fuel source of glucose that we have plenty of today because of the high carbohydrate diet, but was extremely scarce throughout the history of evolution. So ketones burn like glucose in the body particularly important for the brain because the brain is a huge energy demand organ. It burns 20 to 25% of our daily calories and can rely only upon glucose or the glucose-like substitute of ketones and a little bit of lactate. So today, because we slam so many carbs, our brains are almost Entirely reliant upon glucose. How do you know when you do so much as skip a single meal? you start to feel cranky, tired, famished for quick energy carbohydrates, and these are all indications that you're locked into a pattern of carbohydrate dependency, which arguably is the single most disastrous health consequence of modern day living. That our primary fuel source is dietary carbohydrates, and we're reliant upon regular feedings, to such an extent that we can't even skip a meal without falling apart. And oh my gosh, thinking of the ancestral example, by comparison, much lower carbohydrate intake, much higher fat intake, much more metabolic flexibility, the ability to burn a variety of fuels, whether or not you sit down to a meal today or tomorrow or for uh, a a week-long period or a month-long period, all these internal energy producing mechanisms kick into high gear. So when we talk about the overarching goal of going keto and the Keto Reset Diet presentation, it is to escape the disastrous consequences of carbohydrate dependency and become fat and keto adapted, become good at burning Uh, stored body fat, and making ketones in the liver in the extreme example of when you uh, greatly restrict dietary carbs down to 50 grams per day or below, or go on prolonged fasting periods in the name of fat reduction. Okay, so that's the starting point, is ditching carb dependency and ramping up our internal energy production systems. It turns out when we're in this ketone burning state and getting off the glucose express train, a lot of things in the body work a lot more efficiently. Ketones are a much cleaner burning fuel source than glucose, so they produce fewer free radicals in the process of burning them. Uh, They recruit more mitochondria. Those are the energy-producing powerhouses in the cells that are comparable to, let's say, a solar power plant rather than a coal factory uh, in the comparison of glucose. And we have this wonderful analogy of the campfire to kind of compare and contrast the difference between being fat and keto adapted and being carbohydrate dependent. Okay, So let's go sit by the campfire for this quick analogy that'll get you the best picture imaginable uh, to talk about the differences in the metabolic state there, metabolic flexibility. So so you're out camping, it's getting chilly. But you're tired, lazy, don't feel like building a proper campfire. You just want to make those s'mores and then crash out. And so you get the twigs that are laying around and grab the newspaper out of the car and throw it into the fire pit, light a match start burning those newspapers, you get an instant flame, the twigs catch on fire, and all of a sudden, all the campers around are looking over there in awe at your incredibly powerful fire that you made so quickly what's that like? Analogy, that's right, a quick energy carbohydrate snack or meal. So you slam that 7-Eleven Slurpee after you've been driving for four hours, pull over, get some gas, and put in some low-octane fuel into your body, and all of a sudden you're alert and energized because the glucose spikes blood sugar and puts you from tired and cranky into uh, pretty much wired and focused, and of course we know what happens very soon after that. Yes, the insulin crash in the body, and of course in the campfire, the newspaper is going to burn up quickly, the twigs are going to burn through quickly, and then you're forced to wad up more newspaper and throw more twigs on to keep that fire going. It's very tenuous, you have to attend to it constantly, just like we have to have regular snacks and meals, and we've been conditioned to think this is the way to eat for decades, where we want to have our snacks readily available and make sure we have a bunch of of energy bars around because they're so healthy and nutritious in between meals and we get locked into the three square meals a day. We've been told how important that is our whole life. Don't skip breakfast. It's the most important meal of the day. If you do, you'll go on the energy roller coaster and all that's sort of true. It's like, don't uh, walk away from your fire or it'll burn out and then you'll have to start over. Ah, but who wants a crappy campfire like that? What else is indicative of those newspaper and twig campfires? That's right, lots of black smoke. The analogy being the free radicals, the oxidative stress and inflammation that occurs at the cellular level when you're eating junk food. This is a path to disease dysfunction, inflammation being the root cause of all disease, as many experts are touting cancer risk, and lifelong accumulation of excess body fat. Because guess what? When you have twigs and newspaper as your main energy source, you are not burning those big logs that we will call stored body fat. So as we transition over to the impressive fat and ketone burning campfire at the next campsite over, what's that look like? Yes, you have these big, wonderful logs ready to burn and burn all night with minimal attention or needing to constantly poke and prod them. Once you get them going, they burn nice and slowly and keep you warm. Not much black smoke in the air either. They're clean, burning fuel, and that's what fat and ketones are in your body you can burn glucose very quickly and easily without the protective benefits of mitochondria, but not so for fat and ketones. So you're in this solar energy uh, production state rather than the coal power plant spewing smoke. Uh, So as far as the fire's going, you get a little bit of twigs, Uh, Maybe one newspaper, whatever. You get that thing going, the big logs catch on fire, and you sit there and you read a good book for the rest of the night. You keep warm. No spikes up and down where the fire's uh, burning brightly and then almost about to burn out the next minute. Okay, is that pretty pretty good, powerful analogy? You got the difference between the campfire, especially the lack of black smoke, the lack of free radicals, reactive oxygen species, when you turn into a fat-burning beast. So when you can control this inflammation and oxidative stress that occurs from adverse dietary habits and get into the mode of burning fat as your preferred fuel source, then you have an effortless, lifelong maintenance of ideal body fat levels because you can skip a meal anytime and feel fine and tap into stored energy to keep, uh, cognitive function, mood, energy, appetite, everything stable when you get good at burning body fat. And of course, this is our human genetic expectation. As Mark Sisson says, this is our default human factory setting. We're fat burning beasts. We would not have survived if we were highly dependent on dietary carbohydrates like we are today. We would have collapsed and died in the savannah. Because we missed two or three meals in a row, so to see how ridiculous it is to be in this mode of uh, the six small meals a day or the three big meals and the three snacks, all that stuff is or, or excuse me balancing the uh, the macronutrient content of each meal to the extent of forty thirty thirty or other blood sugar stabilizing strategies all this is nonsense when we frame it in the ancestral example of being very, very good at surviving whether or not we have had regular meals. So this esteemed goal is to get back into that metabolically flexible state. How do we do it? Well, there is an important step-by-step approach that's essential to follow, to do this right and do this properly, rather than get excited and jump into the keto scene because you want to lose weight, look good in the bikini for the upcoming cruise this summer, that is going to cause trouble. Because if you've relied upon glucose, dietary carbohydrate, for years and decades as your primary fuel source, asking your body to immediately switch over to fat and fast and skip meals and cut out carbs and feel great it's going to be very very difficult it takes a while to downregulate your carbohydrate burning genes and upregulate your fat burning genes and hormonal processes so the step by step approach here is to be patient and make sure that you're never struggling or suffering Throughout your dietary transformation. And that counters a lot of nonsense talk about there, where you might have heard uh, statements like the keto flu, descriptions like the keto flu or uh, the low carbohydrate blues and things like that. And this describes feeling really crappy and having to ride it out because you're on a carbohydrate restriction diet. That's going to be really, really tough to sustain. Even if you can make it for a few weeks and turn away from those carbs, even when you're craving carbs, good luck sustaining that for any period of time. Same with the extreme exercise patterns that we engage in in the name of dropping excess body fat. They sometimes deliver temporary results with uh, disastrous long-term consequences, especially when you uh, uh, bomb out and become exhausted. And then what the human likes to do when it becomes exhausted is burn fewer calories, eat more calories, store fat, uh, preserve energy so you're going to feel tired and want to sit on the couch and just eat more food if you're going on these binge diets or binge exercise programs. So when we want to transition into this idealized fat and ketone burning beast, the first step to take is the elimination of the toxic modern foods from the diet, the high-carbohydrate foods that prompt wildly excessive insulin production and also inhibit the burning of stored energy, stored body fat. And those will be namely grains, sugars, and sweetened beverages and the refined high polyunsaturated vegetable oils, which are very harmful to fat burning as well as cellular health. They're one of the most toxic, probably the most toxic thing that we consume in the modern diet. They are directly linked to uh, all manner of cancers and metabolic difficulties. And so this stuff requires a 100% devoted elimination for the rest of your life if you want to be healthy and not get cancer. Unfortunately, they're pretty prominent. Uh, some statistics uh, estimate that we're getting up to a third of our calories from vegetable oil because they're so calorically dense and so many meals are cooked in vegetable oil and so many processed products contain the vegetable oil. Dr. Andrew Weil states that soybean oil alone, just one of the types that you see, besides canola oil, corn oil, cottonseed oil, sunflower oil, you see these on labels all the time, or the bottled canola oils. He says soybean oil alone accounts for 20% of the calories in the standard American diet. Uh, Dr. Kate Shanahan cites a statistic that 40% of all calories from restaurant meals come from vegetable oil because they cook all the meals in this cheap crap instead of using uh, a little more premium uh, olive oil, avocado oil, uh, butter. Butter or the uh, temperature stable saturated fats to cook your meal. So we want to ditch vegetable oils completely. No big loss there because they don't taste good. You just want to transition over to healthier oils and then get rid of these sugars and grains. And that's a big change for most people. Obviously, the standard American diet is based the baseline, the bottom of the food pyramid is grain foods. So we have our uh, uh, wheat, corn rice, cereal, pasta, all the bread products, cookies, crackers, muffins, cakes, chips, ah, the baking grains, all that stuff. A lot of people are still touting these as uh, the healthy baseline, the brown rice and the lentil soup is seen as the ultimate vegetarian healthy eating experience. But the problem, the objection with grains is that they are extremely dense in carbohydrate and they stimulate excess insulin production, especially when uh, combined with all the other carbohydrate sources in your diet, including the healthy stuff like fruits and vegetables. So, the grains contribute minimal nutritional value and they have numerous adverse consequences, particularly the spiking of insulin. Remember that any form of carbohydrate you eat, even complex carbohydrate, gets converted into glucose in the bloodstream pretty quickly. So, in terms of let's say a fat loss goal or a goal to minimize insulin production, your bowl of brown rice, if it's 250 calories of brown rice, is pretty much the same as a 250 calorie bag of Skittles. Of course, the brown rice is going to have marginally more nutritional value and it's going to burn more slowly than the Skittles. So you'll get an insulin spike with the Skittles rather than an insulin steady drip with the brown rice. But you're still producing a requisite amount of insulin to process that food. So you're compromising your fat reduction goals similarly in both cases. And most people uh, in modern life have a goal of reducing excess body fat. So when it comes to reducing excess body fat, we're pretty much putting our hand on a dial. And turning it down in terms of the carbohydrate intake insulin production that is the most direct way to start kicking into a heightened fat burning state and getting the excess fat off your body but you cannot do it until you get that carb intake and that insulin production down because insulin is the storage hormone it takes uh, nutrients out of the bloodstream and into storage and so it locks fat away in storage so you can't burn it. So you'll eat a meal, you'll get that carbohydrate, that glucose spike, or you'll burn through it, the insulin will come in, it'll remove the excess glucose from the bloodstream because that's very dangerous and toxic as any diabetic knows, or that's what's going on when people can't regulate their blood sugar. So the insulin comes in, removes the energy from your bloodstream, and guess what? You feel tired and hungry after you burn through your previous meal. And meanwhile, you have massive amounts of energy locked away in storage that you cannot access and burn because you chronically produce too much insulin. So that's the story that we want to escape, moderate our insulin levels, Dr. Peter Attia, one of the world's leading longevity experts, says that lifelong minimization of insulin production is probably the most profound longevity factor, one of the most profound longevity factors you can imagine. So that's the ultimate lifelong goal, is to produce the bare minimum amount of insulin necessary to get the job done. Clear? Good. So how do we do this? We ditch grains, sugars, and refined vegetable oils. And out of the gate, we don't worry too much about an extreme calorie restriction or extreme carbohydrate restriction, because it often is very difficult to have a crash elimination of your main fuel source for decades. If you do so, and you insist on jumping right into keto, what is going to happen is your ravenous brain that's used to burning glucose day and night as the number one energy demand organ is going to get glucose one way or the other until it gets better and better at burning ketones. How does it do it? Through a process known as gluconeogenesis, a prominent attribute of the fight or flight response. So as soon as you skip your first meal or eat your first low-carbohydrate breakfast instead of your usual high-carbohydrate breakfast, and you don't get that power bar down at 10 a.m., or you don't have a high-carbohydrate lunch, and you start to drift and become uh, tired, cranky, and hungry, and you don't give yourself the expected dose of carbs as you've done for the previous years and decades, your body will perceive this situation as a stressful event. In fact, low blood sugar is a matter of life or death to our ancestors, right? You can't be running around looking for food and all of a sudden get uh, goofy and lightheaded. So, the fight or flight response kicks in and you start to manufacture glucose internally by breaking down lean muscle tissue and turning it into glucose and sending it to the brain. That's what happens on a crash diet uh, by someone who is not good at burning body fat. So we want to uh, avoid that fight or flight response to a dietary change. And the way to do that is to transition gradually and bit by bit build your skills at fat burning. Now, when you cut out grains and sugars and refined vegetable oils, although those are fat calories, they also compromise fat burning in a different way. So that's getting in the way of burning fat when you're eating bad fats. That's why they're always added into this sentence. But when you uh, minimize those uh, processed carbohydrate intake, Where are you going to get your carbs? Well, you can get them from nutritious sources in the diet, like sweet potatoes, uh, wild rice is an approved carbohydrate, quinoa, uh, massive intake of vegetables is recommended by almost everyone. Well, not everyone. Now there's the carnivore people saying don't do that. But generally speaking, we're getting in fruits, vegetables, and colorful, nutrient-dense carbohydrates rather than nutrient-deficient, refined carbohydrates. Those should fuel your energy needs just fine so you don't have to go through the low-carbohydrate flu and kickstart uh, the fight-or-flight response in an excessive manner. Now, what happens over time, as you'll notice, is you start to get better and better at burning fat, more comfortable delaying your uh, initial morning meal, feeling fine, not struggling, but noticing that you can last until 10 a.m. instead of needing to eat at 8 a.m., and then eventually being able to last until noon without ingesting any calories, or perhaps having a Uh, high-fat but satisfying meals such as an omelet in the morning, uh, your salad at midday where you're having all kinds of uh, vegetables, fruits, uh, healthy uh, high-fat dressing, and maybe some source of protein, uh, fish or meat on there. So, you're eating in this low-carbohydrate, ancestral, high-nutritional-value diet, and you're cutting out the processed stuff that spikes blood sugar, uh, floods the bloodstream with insulin, and inhibits fat burning. Okay, so we're going to progress steadily toward there with the first step being ditching those grain sugars and refined vegetable oils. And in the keto reset diet, this is the central element of the 21-day metabolism reset. So that's the first step out of the gate is to go in this reset mode. But big important thing, distinguishing Keto Reset from the players and the pretenders out there is we advocate for a comprehensive lifestyle approach because other elements of life are extremely relevant to your ability to transition over from carbohydrate dependency to becoming fat and keto adapted, namely your exercise habits, your movement habits, your sleeping habits, and your stress management habits. If you are leading a hectic, high-stress, hyper-connected, over-stimulated life, you are going to prompt carbohydrate dependency because constant fight-or-flight activation goes hand-in-hand with carbohydrate cravings and the burning of quick energy carbohydrates rather than the calm, stress-balanced, energy-balanced state of fat metabolism. Okay, so stress equals carb cravings carb intake, appetite spikes, energy level swings, and we have to manage the other stress factors to succeed with the dietary transition. So let's tackle exercise, sleep, and stress management. Those are the three categories we cover in the 21-day uh, metabolism reset. So the first week of the 21 days, we focus on ditching grains, sugars, and refined vegetable oils. Then we turn our attention to the lifestyle factors and weakness too. With exercise, pretty simple. Get moving. Get off your butt and move more in everyday life. We don't even need to talk about formal, structured workouts, getting to the gym, uh, putting in the miles on the road. We don't even need to discuss that until we address the critically important matter of just moving more in everyday life. JFW, we call it in the new book, Keto Longevity. Just F and walk. Walking is the best form and the easiest form of movement, it's always accessible uh wherever you are, whenever you are. And so, if we can just get more in the habit of taking a morning stroll with the dog, taking an evening stroll with the dog, or without the dog, with a person, with yourself, getting out there and moving, parking at the furthest spot in the parking lot instead of the closest, taking the stairs instead of the elevators, figuring out ways to move more. And in that category of movement, we also have the formal practices like taking yoga, Pilates, even foam rolling counts as movement as does stretching and mobility and flexibility drills, doing a set of squats in your cubicle for a quick break or while you're watching TV. We just want to get into that mindset that the body is meant to move. In fact, if you sit on your butt for as short as 20 minutes, you will have a noticeable deficiency in fat burning. You will have a noticeable deficiency in brain function too. The body does not like to sit around and linger. So, if we can take these quick breaks from work for a couple few minutes, maybe five minutes every couple hours, ten minutes every few hours, keeping moving all day, our brain keeps sharp, we keep focused, and we keep fat burning at the forefront rather than uh, sitting around, getting fatigued, and then of course craving sugar is the first thing, first trigger that happens when we start to lose energy in a rested state. So, Movement objective number one. And then secondly, of course, as communicated in the three exercise laws of the primal blueprint, we have the uh, genetic expectation, the health and longevity objective of conducting uh, workouts, and exercise program that's properly formulated and sensible. Speaking of that, don't overdo it because the fitness scene is filled with people who are enthusiastic, well-meaning, devoted, motivated, type A, driven, and they're doing too much, and they're leading over and over to breakdown, burnout, illness, and injury because the nature of their exercise patterns are chronic. We have this term chronic cardio or chronic strength training, chronic exercise of any kind leads to, you guessed it, Overstimulation of the fight or flight response, depletion of your cellular energy over and over from your four CrossFit workouts a week, or from your running forty-five miles a week, training for the next marathon or half marathon, and constantly fe- feeling depleted, burnt out, and hungry for quick energy carbohydrates when your body gets in that state. So the overly stressful nature of the typical exercise routine is working against your. Fat- Fat reduction and uh, fat metabolism goals. So slowing down your pace training in an aerobic manner rather than drifting above your aerobic maximum heart rate and getting into this black hole zone where you're triggering glucose burning rather than fat burning. So there's entire shows dedicated to this concept uh, on the Primal Endurance podcast where we talk about the concept of uh, the Maffetone formula of 180 minus your age and beats per minute. You make this calculation and that is your maximum aerobic heart rate. That is where you're burning the maximum amount of fat calories per minute with a minimal amount of anaerobic stimulation, a minimal amount of glucose burning or stress hormone production. So it's a very, very comfortable heart rate if you're not familiar with the calculation or using a heart rate monitor. It's so comfortable that most exercisers, whether they're novice and just starting out, or experienced and competitive and driven, most people routinely exceed that maximum aerobic heart rate to their great detriment so what they're doing in workouts is teaching the body to burn glucose instead of prefer fat the exact thing we're trying to do with our diet is getting compromised when we're overly ambitious with our exercise patterns so slowing down and monitoring your heart rate during your cardiovascular sessions to keep them uh, below that maximum aerobic number uh, let's say for example, I'm 54 years old now. <gasps> I am? Oh my gosh. So 180 minus 54, my maximum aerobic heart rate is 126. So I'm going to set my beeper alarm. And when I go jogging down the street for a routine training session, I want to go slower than 126. 126 or below. Same with cycling, same with rowing, whatever we're doing. When we're talking about the other uh, central components of a well-balanced exercise program. That would be strength training and occasional sprinting. Uh, we're not so concerned about heart rate. It's not a cardiovascular session, but with those workouts, the key is to keep them brief and intense. We want to emphasize the explosive anaerobic energy production And we do not want the workout to last too long to where it becomes stressful and depleting. So we get this beneficial spike in fight or flight hormones when we're doing a sprint workout or doing a a kettlebell session or what have you. And we want that to happen. This is what gives the pulse of anti-aging hormones into the bloodstream. Use it or lose it, man. So we got to sprint throughout the our, our entire lives and lift heavy weights. That could mean weights, but it could also mean your body weight or using stretch cords. It's some form of resistance training is essential to delay aging, to protect against the uh, the tragic consequences of uh, accelerated aging and demise when you fail to challenge your body and put it under resistance load frequently, regularly. The number one cause of injury and death in people over sixty five is falls due to diminish balance, diminish strength. So we have the aerobic component of moving around frequently in daily life, conducting structured cardiovascular workouts in the proper heart rate zone, 180 minus your age and beats per minute or below, and then regular strength training sessions that are brief and intense. And in this category, we're talking about twice a week is plenty to put yourself through a complete uh, session lasting up to 30 minutes no longer is ever necessary. So when you're going into the gym with your personal trainer for an hour-long workout or doing an hour-long boot camp class, you're probably overstressing yourself. It's not explosive enough because you're getting tired because the workout is lasting too long. They're asking you to perform too much work. So much better off in most cases is to shorten up those workouts, do something tough and challenging, put your body under resistance load, and get out of there before the stress hormones circulate too long in the bloodstream. So this is going through the, uh, the weight machines, uh, maximum effort at each machine, one set, maybe you're in there for 17 minutes, you're done. You don't need to do three sets. It's just going to get you tired and craving sugar and crashing out with uh, elevated stress hormone production for too long. So strength training, brief, intense, explosive, same with the all-out sprints. And the weight-bearing sprints obviously are the best running sprints because that'll help preserve bone density and it'll also send a powerful message to your metabolism, to your appetite hormones, your fat satiety hormones to drop excess body fat. There's no such thing as a fat sprinter. Watch the Olympics on television. Is there such thing as a over-fat endurance athlete? Uh yes, indeed, by droves. Go to any starting line of even a competitive marathon or Ironman triathlon event, and a great many endurance athletes carry excess body fat and struggle to remove it because they are training in an overly stressful manner, prompting sugar cravings, eating too much food, and overcompensating, either equally compensating or overcompensating for the calories they burn in exercise by consuming all that food. That's what happens to the appetite hormones when you deplete your with overly stressful workouts. So, that sprinting element is key. Most people disregard it, in favor of just doing cardio every single time. You go to the gym, you get on the treadmill for 45 minutes, you burn a few calories, you go home, you eat those calories up, especially if your heart rate was too high and you're no better off than you were 10 years before. But integrating a little tiny bit of sprinting into your game and if you're not competent enough to uh, start running sprints right away, you can do sprinting on the rowing machine or the bicycle, the low impact options, and maybe, uh, ideally, work toward doing the uh, weight-bearing explosive sprints when you're running. But even so, and again, we got whole entire shows on this topic too, uh, we want to keep those sprints very brief. No longer than 20 seconds is ever necessary. The sweet spot is 10 to 20 seconds for your sprint efforts with long duration rest intervals so you don't have that cumulative fatigue during the workout. And the total uh, duration of the work efforts is... only a few minutes total. So, you should do four to ten sprints lasting 10 to 20 seconds each, resting a minute in between each sprint. Many devoted fitness enthusiasts might think that that's way too simple, way too easy. I usually do three-minute sprints, and I only rest a few seconds in between them, all that stuff is not explosive enough because you're generating cumulative fatigue during the workout and you're getting tired and depleted when you finish. So we want these sprints to feel sharp and explosive and you quit when you have the slightest sensation of attrition in performance or uh, increased degree of difficulty uh, on the successive sprint. So you do a few, you get out of there and go home. So you have this nice base of movement, aerobic movement, and then you're throwing in some intensity uh, in a structured manner. And you got your exercise deal handled. That brings us to the important topic of sleep. And if you even have a slight deficiency in optimal sleep, what happens is you throw off your appetite hormones and your satiety hormones to the extent that you crave more sugar and are more likely to store those excess calories as fat. Sleep is so critical to fat metabolism, healthy fat metabolism, appetite regulation, all those things. Basically what happens, how we screw it up today, is we introduce excess artificial light and digital stimulation after dark due to our screen, our modern screen habits and indoor light bulbs and indoor environments where we extend our light source, we extend our days uh, much longer than our ancestral example. And in this great book called Lights Out, Sleep, Sugar, and Survival, the authors describe what's happening at the genetic level, and that is that we are tricking our bodies into thinking that it's summer all the time because we have days that last, what, 16 hours of light every single day year-round. We know in the summer there's 16 hours of light, period, in most places, uh, wherever you are in your hemisphere or your latitude on the globe, right? We have those long days of summer, and then in wintertime, when it gets dark at 5 o'clock on the United States continent, uh, the lights go on until 10 or 11 p.m., and when you trick your body into believing that it's summer all the time, what is happening to our metabolism? Well, summer is the uh, historic ancestral period of time where we binge on carbohydrates, right? That's when the fruit ripens, and we are in fat storage mode to prepare for the long winter ahead. Therefore, we're consuming carbs year-round. We're buying our pineapples and giant blueberries from the big box store in the middle of winter, so we're teaching our body to uh, stay up late, And consume sugar year-round and store fat year-round. So, the sleep aspect of getting optimal sleep can be a miracle solution, a miracle catalyst to reduce excess body fat just by adding hours to your sleep. There's some great research. One came out of the University of Chicago where they had these poor students sleep four hours a night for an entire week hopefully they were up partying or watching some good movies in the sleep laboratory, I don't know. But the result came back that they were severely compromised with insulin resistance in even a week's time. Another study showing at a single night of deficient sleep, a single night of four hours of sleep, spiked insulin resistance, I believe, to 50%. Insulin resistance meaning that you're more likely to store uh, calories ingested as fat rather than burn them. So we're highly sensitive to our sleep needs. Everybody knows this, you're nodding your head right now, but if you you can get it done, main thing, the number one emergency thing to do is minimize artificial light and digital stimulation after dark. My brother is now world famous due to his uh, well-meaning question that he asked me a couple years ago. He said he's doing great with his dietary transformation, getting into that ancestral pattern, low-carb, cutting out the grains and sugars, but he said, you know what? Every single night around 11 p.m., I got a problem, man. I can't can't break it. I, I crave this bowl of cereal, and I have to have a bowl of cereal every night at 11 p.m., and I know I'm not supposed to, and it throws me off. What should I do? And I came up with an absolutely bulletproof solution solution guaranteed for the rest of your life to work go to bed at 10 p.m. right <laughs> okay so when you're blasting your eyeballs with artificial light and digital stimulation after dark you are suppressing melatonin that's the hormone that releases and makes us feel sleepy and transition over into a good night's sleep suppressing melatonin and spiking the prominent stress hormone cortisol. So this stress response is occurring going hand in hand with carbohydrate cravings. That's what's going down when you're staying up late at night and introducing a lot of light. So, tone down your evenings, get the blue blocking eyewear on, uh, use the salt lamps, the orange light bulbs, just tone things down and have a darker evening experience to recalibrate your appetite and fat-burning hormones. Uh, Finally, stress management. Of course, we want to implement all these wonderful healthy practices. Nurturing positive, loving, live interpersonal relationships rather than getting drawn into excess use of social media. We want to have coping mechanisms when we get stressed and hyperconnected overstimulated whereby we can take breaks we can become aware and mindful of where we stand in terms of our stress rest balance uh, take time throughout the day to unplug unwind perhaps take a nap or perhaps sit quietly for 5 minutes and stare off into nature before you return to your screen and the intense engagement that we demand of our brains all day long all these things falling into that wonderful category of stress management especially getting skilled at re- relaxing and stimulating parasympathetic nervous system activity. Things like foam rolling do a wonderful job at that, receiving a massage, uh, taking a walk in nature, all these things that we discount in importance but are critically important to maintain a healthy stress-rest balance. So those are the assorted objectives of the 21-day metabolism reset as presented in the keto reset diet and what you have after that 21 days is Better fat burning, reduced carbohydrate cravings, a little better at regulating your energy between meals, and you can proceed to the next step, which could be called a fine tuning period. Before you consider this keto thing and the calorie restriction and the carb restriction, you want to see how well you're doing, uh, without the input of a regular meal. So the challenge out of the gate is to wake up in the morning and delay your first meal until you experience true sensations of hunger. If that's 8 a.m., hey man, go make up your eggs and bacon and be on your way, your power nutrition smoothie, that's fine. If you have a true sensation of hunger at 8 a.m., that's a sign of uh, poor metabolic flexibility, honestly, right? We should be able to last a bit longer without a calorie ingestion uh, the moment we wake up. So let's say our final meal of the previous evening was 8 p.m., and we wake up and carry on and note our energy, mood, appetite, cognitive function. And when you start to get those true sensation of hunger, the growling in your stomach, that's the spiking of the prominent hunger hormone ghrelin, Dr. Kate Shanahan explains that's how we can never forget the name because ghrelin gets your stomach ghrelin, all right? So those are signs, or if you start to lose your cognitive function, maybe get a little headache coming on or feeling a little lightheaded, time to get a meal in, and then note the time of day and the fact that you lasted uh, 14 hours between meals or 16 hours if we're going from... 8 p.m. the previous evening, final caloric ingestion to 12 noon for your first ingestion of calories the next day. So your first ingestion of calories means the high-fat coffee that you have at 7.15 a.m. pretty much breaks your fasts. So what we want to do here is uh, track our ability to uh, function well without any calories. And if you can make it from 8 p.m. to 12 noon the following day, that's a 16-hour fast, that's indicating a pretty good level of metabolic flexibility. And if you've done the hard work during the 21-day metabolism reset, you are ready to make your initial foray into nutritional ketosis. So as you may have heard, going keto entails a a tight restriction in macronutrient intake to avail the production of ketones, to stimulate the production of ketones in your liver, which happens when uh, you need more energy to the brain and you're not getting it from dietary carbohydrate. Uh, Luis Villasenor, one of the world's leading keto experts, he's got a great website called ketogains.com with a lot of community engagement and commentary on the forum, uh, newbies getting started and getting great advice and support. He has this great terminology to describe the role of the various macronutrients in the ketogenic diet. So carbs are a limit, and you want to limit your carb intake to 50 grams of gross carbohydrate intake per day. And you get a free pass for avocados and leafy greens because those don't really contribute much to your insulin production. Uh, they're so high in fiber, avocados high in fat, so you don't have to count those towards your 50 gram total. And when you're talking about this in practical terms, limiting your carb intake to 50 grams means that you're eating uh, little or no fruit, really, or starchy vegetables like sweet potatoes, which were just fine during your transition phase away from carb dependency, grade-based diet into an ancestral style diet. But going keto is a little bit special, and even for a really ancestral-aligned low-carb eater, uh, a lot of times they're coming in at a level of 150 grams per day, somewhere around there. So now you got to cut down to 50. So it basically means that you're eating abundant servings of vegetables and not many other carbs, and you are getting some incidental carbohydrate count from things like nuts, seeds, and their derivative butters, maybe some high cacao percentage dark chocolate, if that's your gig, that's your snack that you're transitioning over to, uh, in the name of getting rid of all the, uh, the high fat, high, high carbohydrate treats that you use to consume. Uh, you're also getting incidental carbs from things like, oh, coconut milk that's going in your smoothie or high fat dairy products. And when it all adds up, it's pretty easy to hit that 50 gram limit. So when we're going keto, just focus on the vegetables. That's kind of the the ticket there with the carb intake. Then we go over to uh, protein intake and Luis Villasenor calls protein a target because of course we don't want to under consume protein. Uh, it's almost impossible to do so, by the way. A lot of people are obsessed with getting enough protein every day, but it's super, super easy to get enough protein every day because your body has profound cravings for protein if you're under-consuming it. This is from uh, the work of Chris Kresser, leading paleo expert functional medicine specialist, and he's uh, detailed how we have intense cravings for high-protein foods when we under-consume protein. So if you get into a pattern of under-consuming protein, you're going to feel like crap, you're going to become emaciated quickly, your hair's going to fall out, maybe, but not uh, necessarily, but it's no fun and you'll have very little risk of that no matter who you are, even vegans, vegetarians, carnivore people, keto people. So I wouldn't worry about going and looking for protein sources, but when you're going keto, it is possible on certain occasions to uh, get so focused on the protein that you can go well past the target and possibly interfere with ketone production. Don't have to wade too much into the controversy or the differences of opinion here, just to say that the widely recommended uh, protein target is 0.7 grams per pound of lean body mass per day. Quick example, let's say I weigh 165 pounds and I'm uh, 10% body fat, so that would put my lean body mass at around 150 pounds. So if I'm going uh, 0.7 times 150 pounds, I'm going for somewhere around 100 grams of protein per day. That's only 400 calories, right? 50 grams of carbs is only 200 calories. So my protein and carb intake combined is only 600 calories, a small fraction of my total daily caloric needs. The rest is coming from fat. So Luis Felicenor calls fat a lever, and the lever is what you pull to ensure that you achieve total dietary satisfaction at each meal so there's no struggling or suffering, and that's where the keto people get to go crazy with these delicious high-fat meals such as the morning omelet, the high-fat coffee, the handful of macadamia nuts for a snack, the high cacao percentage dark chocolate, but let it be known that fat is a lever to achieve dietary satiety. The ultimate goal of keto is to get good at burning stored body fat, and that in fact is the best promoter of ketone manufacturing in the liver. So the keto movement has gotten a little bit away from the big picture vision here and has gone into this uh, blanket Uh, recommendation to consume as much fat as possible in the name of making ketones. Yeah, it's fun to enjoy these uh, uh, high satiety meals and snacks and fat bombs as they're called in many of the recipe books Uh, But again, just eat the fat that you need to feel satisfied and don't go over-consuming fat in the name of keto. In fact, the best metabolic benefits, the best immune function benefits come when the human is in a fasted state. Imagine that. That's when we upregulate these wonderful health processes of autophagy, which is the natural cellular detoxification process that happens internally. Apoptosis is the programmed death of dysfunctional and precancerous cancerous cells. So all these processes of cleanup and metabolic efficiency happen when we're in a fasted state, most profoundly. So the ketogenic diet is really a proxy for uh, starvation, okay? Because of course we can't starve for days and days on end, even though we operate in a very efficient and functional state when we don't have calories at a certain point it becomes unsustainable so if you limit your carb intake and keep these ketones going in the liver you're getting all the not all but you're getting many of the metabolic benefits of fasting without having to starve yourself that's the keto diet in a nutshell that's the benefit there so don't over consume fat is the takeaway uh, make sure that you target your protein properly and limit your carbs, and then you're off and running. Now, here's the thing. It's still a little difficult. Even though you've done all that hard work with the metabolism reset, you've escaped carbohydrate dependency, you're good at fasting, waiting till 12 noon, no problem. Uh, You got your macros dialed in, you're using an app like Zenza or a website called MyFitnessPal where you can input your food intake and know for sure that you are uh, keeping under that 50 gram per day limit and know that you're getting your protein in the right zone. Uh, It's still difficult and still a pretty disciplined and regimented diet. Uh, I love the great recommendations uh, touted by Villasenor, as well as my man at Primal Land, Brian McAndrew, who advocate for a simple approach that minimizes uh, decision fatigue and the application of willpower constantly. So how about when you go keto, just eat the same thing every day until you get into a good groove, You know you can have an omelet, a salad, uh, a a steak or fish for dinner with vegetables slathered in butter, Taste delicious, uh, a few squares of dark chocolate, a couple handfuls of macadamia nuts, and you know that daily package will lock you in with ideal keto ratios. Uh, I'm not sure what I just said. It's a very good hypothetical example. Probably does lock you in pretty well, but The point here is that you don't want to struggle and have a high-stress experience where you're trying to figure out what to eat every day and what works and what doesn't and stay creative. No, no, much easier to just lock in, uh, get away from the abundance of choice and the freedom and the decadence and the indulgence that we traffic in every day in modern life to our great detriment in many ways. Of course, enjoying life is important too, and eventually you'll be able to transition down that road of a keto-friendly lifestyle. That allows for a little bit of leeway. And go for the cookbooks and see what kind of fun stuff you can still enjoy and stay keto. But let's make it simple and functional out of the gate. Pick some go-to meals that you like and that you can repeat or get a basic pattern that looks pretty similar. Like, for example, uh, what I did when I plunged into my detailed keto experiment, 150 days straight, pricking my finger, testing my blood values all the time, is I just fasted until 12 or 1 or 2 p.m. every single day day, and so the compressed eating window that I consume my meals in uh, had a pretty tight regulation of my choices, mainly uh, meat and vegetables and uh, some dark chocolate, a little bit of nuts, and pretty much on my way without a lot of frustration or spinning my wheels. So that's a great recommendation when you go keto to uh, lock into some meal patterns that are tight. The second recommendation is those first three weeks are going to be a difficult transition in some way, shape, or form. Just don't expect flying colors all the way. Uh, if you're suffering having that keto flu and really struggling, what you're going to do is take a few steps backward, go back and reach for those sweet potatoes or that bowl full of blueberries or that additional helping of uh, nuts and nut butter as a snack. Maybe your carb intake is creeping over the 50 gram limit, but we don't want to suffer in the name of keto. It just means you're not ready if you're experiencing the keto flu. No big deal. Spend more time in 21 day reset mode. Okay. So in those first three weeks, a great recommendation is to tone down your total energy output from exercise. Because what's happening out of the gate when you go keto is that your muscles and your brain are competing for the precious energy source that is glucose that's now gone, okay? So when you... Uh, deprive your body of glucose your muscles need it to fuel exercise and your brain needs it to fuel daily function they're not yet highly adapted to burning ketones so whatever ketones you do produce you kind of get into a tug-of-war situation where your muscles want some your brain wants some not quite getting what they need what does this turn into Uh, a little bit of afternoon blues where your brain's not quite as sharp and energized and kind of a blah workout performance because your muscles aren't getting all the energy they need either. So if you tone down your workout output, especially for the first three weeks and wait till fat and ketone production kick in and that adaptation phase is over, then you'll experience eventually performance breakthroughs when you kind of become bonk-proof and don't need to rely on sugar uh, during these... uh, Long distance workouts or these high intensity workouts, you feel fine after rather than fried because you burned up all your sugar because now you're fat and keto adapted. Eventually, what happens when you get fat and keto adapted this is from the great science of the keto pioneers, Drs. Finney and Volwick, in their book, The Art and Science of Low Carbohydrate Living and Low Carbohydrate Performance, the second book. What happens is the muscles get better and better at burning fatty acids during exercise. And this allows the ketones to be preferentially used by the brain, because the brain is the ruler of the schooler, right? The brain's going to get its needs met as a matter of life or death. So when the brain gets the ketones it needs, your muscles get better at burning fatty acids, you get good workout performance, and you feel energized and alert, your mood, appetite, everything's stable, and when you get to that week six, that magic week six mark, which we ask for that commitment out of the gate. So you envision your keto experience as a six-week journey minimum. That way, when you struggle at week three, you know things are gonna get better and better and better. Unfortunately, a lot of people bail out at week three because they get that keto flu going or they've been trying to exercise and they're just totally bombed out because they're trying to maintain their normal workout patterns. And that's too bad because things gonna get better. Just stick with it. And make sure that you get your sodium, mineral, electrolyte needs handled because that's a very common cause of keto bombing out is insufficient sodium, magnesium, and potassium. Sodium in particular will make you feel like crap if you don't get your sodium balance right. Here's what happens when you go keto. You experience an immediate reduction in inflammation and water retention in cells throughout the body because you're eating healthy healthier foods, and you've cut out those inflammatory foods, namely the grain-based diet, especially the gluten. So, a lot of people going just low-carb, and especially keto, get this immediate weight loss of 10 pounds in the first week, and it's amazing. Well, this is mostly water retention and inflammation throughout the body. So, that's nice to get rid of that fat, puffy face in one week and get rid of that disease risk factor that is chronic inflammation, but what happens is when you release all that fluid, you have an elevated need for sodium because all the fluid that's released had sodium, magnesium, potassium inside... And so you have an increased dietary need. So, uh, Dr. Dom D'Agostino, one of the leaders in the keto movement, uh, suggests consuming an additional five grams of sodium per day, a high quality sodium source, such as Himalayan pink salt or real salt. That's the brand name. uh, Something besides the iodized salt, which is deficient in minerals, where the other stuff is rich in supportive minerals, electrolytes, micronutrients. So, you get that salt into the tune of five grams per day additional. What I do is I just shake salt into my fluid throughout the day. So whenever I'm making myself a drink, I drink a lot of homemade kombucha, Uh, I just shake the salt in every time I'm getting fluid. That makes the fluid easier to uh, become absorbed and assimilated by tissues throughout my body rather than just chugging water uh, and a salt on your body's delicate sodium balance and you'll pee it out uh, routinely when you chug water after a workout. So keeping that sodium balance, especially when you go keto, is so important. Uh, So try that if you're feeling a little bit lousy, a little bit goofy out of the gate. Try toning down the exercise output, getting to that week six, and then you can read all day on the internet these amazing stories of people experiencing a health transformation from taking that keto journey. And here's the cool thing. If you can complete the keto reset journey, as I just described, which is the reset period, the fine-tuning period to make sure that you're ready to go, and we even have a fun quiz in the keto reset diet where you have to get a passing score of 75% on these subjective questions to determine that you're ready to go keto. And then when you can complete your initial six week keto reset journey, the metabolic benefits will last for a lifetime because what you're doing is you're reclaiming your genetic ability and your genetic preference to burn fat as your primary energy source. This includes ingested fat from the high fat meals as well as effortlessly burning stored body fat whenever you need to stabilize, regulate energy the exact opposite from when we started this recording talking about carbohydrate dependency where you can't last for a single meal without feeling totally bombed out. So it's such a wonderful feeling to escape for the first time in your life that complete reliance and dependence upon meals to stabilize mood, appetite, cognitive function. And from there, you don't have to stay in uh, ketogenic macronutrient guidelines forever and ever. Many people decide that they feel better that way. Uh, Brian McKeown, Andrew, who I mentioned before. We started keto together in early 2016, and he locked in there from that day forward. Meanwhile, I've experimented with different phases, uh, trying to consume more calories to fuel my exercise demands as an old guy who doesn't recover as well as a younger guy and still trying to do these ambitious workouts. So by trying to consume more calories, naturally that also includes more carbohydrates. Uh, But I keep drifting back to this wonderful baseline of living in the keto zone. That's Mark Sisson's terminology for a kind of a fractal intuitive pattern of living your life. So make sure you're enjoying your life and eating healthy, nutritious foods. And if someone presents you with a sweet potato on a day where you've done a lot of exercise energy output, no big deal. If you're having a birthday cake or some other incredible departure from your usual keto focus, no big deal. Dr. Tommy Wood makes a wonderful point about this. Uh, nourish Balance Thrive, he was on my podcast, listened to the show. He said, if you're metabolically healthy, you should be able to to handle anything and smile and live to tell about it. So if it's an ice cream binge one night because you're in downtown Seattle and they have these incredible handmade ice cream providers. You wait in line outside for 40 minutes. And oh my gosh, this stuff is pretty delicious. Got a lot of carbs, more carbs than keto. But you wake up the next day, you get back in the groove, maybe with a extended fast because you're so good at that. You're so metabolically flexible and everything is great. So this is why there's so much hype and excitement about the ketogenic diet. It helps you reclaim your genetic birthright to be a fat-burning beast. And speaking of that, keto will help you handle once and for all that frustrating lifelong challenge of trying to drop excess body fat or prevent the lifelong accumulation of excess body fat. It's so simple. It happens so effortlessly and automatically, like putting your hand on the dial and tapping into our amazing ability to burn stored energy. And we talked a little bit about the health benefits, the mitochondrial biogenesis, the protection against inflammation and oxidative damage that represent the essence of accelerated aging and disease risk factors from the modern diet and the high-stress modern life. So make it a comprehensive approach. Of course, you have to focus on the dietary restriction and the elimination of the bad foods. Get the exercise sleep, and stress management factors handled so you can succeed with your keto journey. Thank you for listening and understanding the right way to go keto. And if you want more step-by-step, comprehensive, online, multimedia guidance for your journey to go keto, go look at BradKerns.com and click on the Keto Reset Mastery course on the homepage. I will give you a 20% discount on your course, enrollment-free, and you will dive into the most comprehensive library of instructional videos, inspirational videos, expert interviews to help you on your keto reset journey. Thanks for listening. So Chris Kelly, Nourish, Balance, Thrive, we're we're talking about health and you're telling me a funny story about your picky four-year-old daughter that won't eat unless there's Primal Kitchen uh, condiments on the table it's true my daughter will not eat unless there's f***ing the primal kitchen Wilder (laughs) it's it's this cute thing actually she does we have a local state park called Wilder Ranch oh yeah and uh, she calls the ranch dressing Wilder Ranch dressing (laughs) there's no way we're going to correct her on that it's just too (laughs) so so endearing Uh, how old Um, is she? she's four. Oh my god so she likes like the mayo on oh yeah on. She, so she loves those so we love them as well we have uh we, we eat them all the time we eat the mayo we eat the balsamic we eat the the ranch um the avocado oil we use all the time and, and so you know that's completely genuine and i don't mind talking about that because you took the pain in the ass out of condiments i really appreciate that what an authentic spot from chris kelly at nourish balance thrive and yes primal kitchen you can call it wilder ranch dressing if you want <laughs> and uh, we'll send five cents of the proceeds over to that beautiful state park because they're they're trying to make ends meet in santa cruz mountains thank you very much chris it's <laughs> my pleasure